Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening. And also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, and also Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything that you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Susan Plunkett, and she is the author of, I believe, three books, When Every Breath Becomes a Prayer, Mission from Venus, and Wanderers on Earth. Thank you for coming on today. Hi, Gary. Nice to be here. So one of the things I noticed is that you're a psychologist, and I've probably interviewed, I don't know, maybe 10 psychologists so far that are all sort of into the extension thing like you are. What is it that drives, draws people in your field to this idea of extension? I'm not sure for the other 10 you interviewed, <laughs> but for me, I'm a Jungian psychologist, a follower of Carl Jung, mm-hmm. and he was a mystic as well as uh, a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And I guess before I was a psychologist, when I was just a regular person, you know, in high school and college and growing up, I was into tarot, the I Ching, uh, seeing psychics, visiting the Brahmin bookstore as a teenager. So I think I was like this before I became a psychologist. Mm. I remember asking my first grade teacher, Miss McGinnis, when I was supposed to be adding up one plus one or something and not doing it. And she came over to my desk like, why are you looking out the window? And I said, I was just wondering, like, what are we doing here? (laughs) What are we all doing here? And she says, aren't you Christian? And I had no idea what that meant. Like, why is she saying that? I'm asking her an important question. And what would that have to do with whether or not I'd have had religion? You know, because at five and a half or six, those two things didn't go together at all. Right. I was just trying to know about life. Right. Yeah. So for it, my question, she moved my desk from the window side of the room over to the bulletin board. And she said, stop looking out the window and do your work and stop thinking. What a thing to say to a first grader. Stop thinking and do your work. That's a mean teacher. And not, yeah. a, not a very smart teacher either, because I think the idea of learning is thinking. Yeah. 
<laughs> he just wanted me to add up those numbers. Yeah, that's more like obedience. Pick your, Pick your questions on my mind. <laughs> on my five-and-a-half-year-old mind. Wow. Um, so so how did, did you ever find an answer to that question? I have, I'm now 73, and I've been asking that question at least since I was five-and-a-half because I remember that incident, um, and I did find the answer but only recently only i'd say in my 60s and in this decade i think i have an answer that satisfies me it wouldn't satisfy everyone um and maybe it's not the answer but it comforts me and this is how i answer that question for myself we're here on earth to have this opportunity to evolve and wake up to the fact that we are every single one of us and that includes people animals trees we are a spark of the divine god isn't somewhere up there in the sky you and me and my dog and everybody we're we're god we're we are divine and if we understand that there's nothing to fear. And this is just one of thousands of possible realities. And we chose to have this experience of this third dimensional life in this particular third dimensional reality on this beautiful planet so that we could remember our own divinity. And I think that is the answer I was looking for at five. Hmm. And that is what I believe now. But it leads to more questions. Like, who is God? And why is he doing this? Yeah, well, that's, that's a... I think God is, is, is you and me and everybody. And there may be some things that comforting as that answer is, that we're here to wake up and realize that God is in every sparrow that falls because he is every sparrow that falls. How this whole question of beginning and end is a baffling question. But if you consider that scientists tell us time is an illusion, that there is no time, that that's a construct that we have on earth in the third dimension, because if we didn't spread things out, in time, everything would be happening, it be manifesting at once and our heads would explode because we have certain types of senses in these bodies. You know, we have hearing and seeing and tasting and touching and smelling. And those senses that are designed for this body fit this reality. And they seem to require the law of time where there's a past, a present and a future. But apparently that isn't real. That's just a construct. There's only the eternal now. Um, so then it doesn't make any difference if there was a beginning and an end. As people say to God, there is no beginning and there is no end because there's only the now moment. Mm -hmm. um, so that worries me less about how it all got started or who God is. I just say to myself, 
you're in a third dimensional body with a third dimensional mind and you're stuck in the construct of time. So there are things you will understand when you're not in this body or in this dimension anymore. Mm. So I accept that. And for now, it's enough to say, um, we're all divine. And there's mm -hmm. nothing to worry about because the happiness of all beings is absolutely assured because there is no God to punish us because we are God. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope not. I mean, I mean, I hope there's no punishment. Anyway. You know, like a lot of times, like I've done um, a lot of uh, neat near death experience interviews and people yeah. always talk about this life review at the end. And I'm like, I dread that. I'm like, no, I don't. But, but you know what? I mean, I've listened to a lot of interviews of that, you know, um, and I once took a course with Eben Alexander who had a near death experience and he was a neurosurgeon and didn't believe in an afterlife until mm. he had his own near death experience. Um, but what I understand about the life review and having had a conversation with my father after he crossed over, after he transitioned, um, that there's no judgment in it. It's like, okay, before you took that particular life, you designed certain chores for yourself or certain things you wanted to learn. And just look and see, did you learn them? Do you want to go back to Earth or some other planet? Do you want to work on this lesson some more? Or do you do you feel like you you got that you learned that bit so i think it the life review is just like are you satisfied it's not about punishment don't worry about that mm -hmm. all this worry that got into our heads is from these one horrible religion after another they're just they're they're limiting and judgmental Spirituality really has very little to do with these organized religions around which talk about heaven and hell and purgatory. And that's just a load of stuff made up by people who wanted to control us. That wasn't the message of great avatars walking on the earth, Jesus, Buddha. Jesus was a loving avatar who incarnated mm -hmm. from another dimension you know, to like, to tell us that we are divine, which is, he says what I'm saying. You can do everything I do and more, he said. You know, we just think we can't do miracles, but apparently we can. I haven't done any, but I, I still keep open the possibility. Right. I think that, that humans are capable of much more than what we're taught, taught or even forced into believing and and i believe that's done because if, if we could realize how much um power not even power is made up Peter word but but how much um ability we have to um manifest our, our own realities it makes it a lot difficult for these people that, that want to control us to control us. Like that's, I think that is their biggest fear. I don't think it's an economic thing. I don't think it's a war. I don't think it's aliens. I think it's all some people going like, Oh wow. I actually have, uh, some, some, you know, at least some 
type of ability to work on your reality and how you see it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you may have read these books, but when I was in my 20s, which is now 50 years ago, I read these books by Jane Roberts called Seth Speaks, The Nature of Personal Reality, um, because she channeled uh, a being named Seth, who didn't have a body, who had once been a human. And it is exactly the message. It is also the message of the very popular uh, Abraham, who speaks through Esther Hicks, mm -hmm. that, that we are creating our reality with our thoughts. We have beliefs. And what is a belief? A belief is just something that you've thought so many times that you think, oh, it must be true. But not all our beliefs are true, and we need to examine them because some of them are self-limiting and they don't create a good reality. Right. But if you think positive things like every morning I get up and I say to myself, everything is always working out for me. And then as the day goes on, I look to see what's been working out. A couple of weeks ago, I had a stomach ache. I thought, oh, I don't know why I have a stomach ache. I should eat something soothing. And a few minutes later, my daughter came in. I have an adult daughter. And she had some sushi. And she said, oh, mom, they put in a miso soup. Do you want it? I was like, great. That'll be perfect <laughs> for my stomach. And I said, you see, everything is always working out for me. <laughs> you have that attitude and then go about your day. You see what is actually working out for you. Mm -hmm. um, we I mean, Seth goes a lot further than just things going your way. He actually says that humans individually and collectively are creating the reality we see. Physicists tell us that this glass is not solid. This computer is not solid. That we perceive it as solid because of our senses and our beliefs. But that Seth says... We're creating everything we see, the trees, the couch, the computer, the poster behind you, the Tibetan flag, everything. We're actually creating that with our thinking. Mm -hmm. And we work together at an unconscious level to create the world we live in. And then we create what, what we see in our own environment with our thoughts. And we create what happens with our thoughts by what we expect to happen. Yeah. It's a tremendous amount of power. It's a tremendous amount of power that a human being has that most of us don't begin to realize. But it comes with a responsibility. If our thoughts are creating reality, we have to be very careful what we think. You don't want to go around thinking, oh, I'm screwed because I did this. No, because then you will be. You know, you've got, and the other thing is that we all use mental telepathy all the time. So we ought to just be upfront about it. We often know what the other person is thinking. Mm -hmm. We are just much, we have inner senses, you know, we have inner knowing and mental telepathy is one of them, but we're so focused on the reality that we create that we don't often attune 
to our inner senses, our inner knowing, like under communicating via thought with other people, whether near or far, as just one example. Right. Yeah, I, you know, like I believe the first line of the Dharmapada is, uh, with your mind, you create your world, or something along yes. those lines. Yes. So, so it's not a new concept, that's for sure. No, no but it's not widely unknown. You know, esoteric uh, books are say, you know, are telling it, but the average Susie out there isn't th isn't thinking with our mind we create our world, even though it's true. I absolutely believe it's true, and it's an empowering thought. I think the hard part, um, at least for me. Um, one is, is I never really paid it for a long time until I started meditating. I never paid attention to my thoughts. So therefore I never even connected that my thoughts were affecting how I was living and what I was doing and what was happening to me. I was just stuck as a, 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 I was a victim of circumstance all the time. And then I started meditating and then I started realizing what my thoughts were, how out of control they were. And how I was constantly responding to, you know, stuff that was just nonsense that I didn't really need to. And I still do, but but at least I, I kind of can catch you sometimes. That's brilliant that you had that realization all on your own from meditating. I say that to patients all day long. If you want to know why you feel a certain way, Look at what you're telling yourself. Look at what you're thinking. Take responsibility for what you're thinking. Okay, you want to chew over some slight someone did to you? Notice how your body feels when you keep chewing over that and thinking how angry you are at the way you were treated and you go on and on about it. Your body feels terrible and then nothing looks good around you. But if you say, you know what? That thought makes me feel bad. I'm not going to think it. I don't have to think it. I'm just, I'm going to turn that channel off. And people say, but I can't. And I say, but you can. Think about your knee instead. Think about the flower on, in the vase next to you instead. Just move your consciousness somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You can do it. And then when you feel good, you can also notice what you're thinking. And it's good to think thoughts that make us feel good. There's no reason for dwelling on negative experiences, slights, harms, rages. They make the body sick. They make us feel bad. Right. Yeah, they definitely do. Ties up your first question to me about psychology and mysticism or psychology and I forget the word you use, like... Oh, the ascension. Yeah, ascension, yeah. Um, because it's so simple. Take responsibility for your own mind, and the world will be better, and you will feel better. I'm not one of those psychologists anymore that I was in my 30s, 40 years ago, when I started seeing patients where I would just let them drone on and on about 
their misery. That right. hurts them. I don't talk to them about spirituality, but I try to get them to take control of their minds so that they actually create a good feeling for themselves. So how do you do that in a world where people are bombarded by misinformation in media? Uh, a lot of people just will escape through drugs, alcohol, um, we're just 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 chasing the next shiny object, or kind of like kind of like cats, you know. Yeah, um, this is a very challenging dimension, the third dimension. It's an extremely challenging dimension, and some people just can't. I mean, they can't. They can't or won't take responsibility for their thoughts, and it's easier to take drugs or drink. Um, but many people struggle with that and fight it and move beyond it also. So everyone has free will and everyone can make their choices about how they want to use their mind and their time in this dimension. We don't have forever here. You know, we have however many years we have. And judgment is a dark force and control is a dark force. So better not to try and control anyone. If someone's path takes them through alcoholism or drugs for now, then that's their path. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone has their own guides. So we don't have to control other people. Our children have their own guides. Our partners have their own guides. So it's not up to us to tell anyone what to do. If, if someone comes to me, if a patient comes to me and they ask my help and no one comes to me be, unless they're in pain because that's my job, um, people don't just come for the heck of it. Um, <laughs> they're all coming. They're all coerced. Um, then they're asking me, so then I can share what I know and what I've learned on this planet about how to feel better. And we generally feel better when we feel empowered and, and able to use our minds to create the life we want and the reality we want. Wow. And I agree. You know, that's something that... Um, magicians, mystics, yogis, um, all sorts of, of spirit shamans, you know, people all around the world have been doing these things for a very long time. Um, and, and somehow it still manages to kind of go right over the heads of, of most people, or at least goes over, at least for like me, like, until I hit like around, I don't know, 40 then I started to kind of like, you know, yeah. look at things differently. I think you're right. We have to be here a little, most of us have to be here a little bit of time before we start um, diving into some of the harder, more fascinating questions. Like in, you know, you're spending a lot of time growing up and learning how to navigate your body you know, as a child and a teenager, and then you have the hormonal thing, and 
then what are you going to do with your life in your 20s? In your 30s, some people start to question, but many more after 40. Um, and we have help. I think our guides, I don't know what got you into meditation, but it might have been your guides. It might have been some incident. But, you know, you got to push somehow and you got into it. Mm -hmm. You started and you used it very beautifully to realize that you weren't running, you weren't making the best use of your own mind. Right. Well, I was very lucky. Actually, what did it was um, I always kind of considered myself well read. But at a certain point, I said, you know what? I never read a book by the Dalai Lama. So <laughs> I read um, How to See Yourself as You Really Are. And, and I was like, and, and it just blew my mind. I said, you know, I, I'm going to go try, see if I can find a place where I can meditate. So, you know, I went online. I found a group and it was right up, right up the street. And I was real lucky because the, the, there was a, a Buddhist nun there. Her name was Trime. And she has studied with uh, Trumpa Rinpoche and... And she was like best friends with like Pema Chodron and wow. you know, so so and she became like my you know she was my meditation teacher and I just went from there. You were just ready, and who put that thought in your mind? I should read a book by the Dalai Lama. You know that's <laughs> wow. part of your higher self. Did your guides? Did your higher self? I mean, I never would have written any books if I hadn't been directed to download the information I was given. Um, the first book, When Every Breath Becomes a Prayer, um, is, is, is a different book than Mission from Venus and The Wanderers on Earth, because Mission from Venus, The Wanderers on Earth, and now Paradise, which I'm writing, that's a trilogy about what is happening on the planet and in the universe mm -hmm. um, now, but told in story form. And I receive the information in the dream state. And then I get up in the morning and I write it down. So I'm not really the author. I'm really just the scribe. Um, but it's been a wonderful experience because I didn't know I was supposed to do this. Like you didn't know you were supposed to meditate until you had the thought, hmm, I never read a book by the Dalai Lama. <laughs> and then suddenly you were ready, the teacher appeared. Mm -hmm. Your meditation teacher appeared. I was told several times that I was supposed to write and I didn't listen. Then finally I listened. Um, and I thought, I don't know how to write. But apparently I have been writing in many dimensions in many lifetimes. And I do know how to write. So, I mean, I don't have to know how to write. I just know mm -hmm. how, to, how to type out the thoughts that have come through. Hmm. And it was a big surprise to me that I wrote these books. And it was an even bigger surprise to me um, when John Hunt Publishing sent me an email and said, oh yeah, we're, we'll, we'll publish Mission from Venus because I didn't remember sending it to them. It happened, it happened. <laughs> That's how it works. And I feel really lucky. I hope at some point um, these books will be read, but one friend of mine who's a psychic said, 
well, your books will be better known after you've transitioned because they're just, they might be a little too wacky or far out for the majority of the people because I have um, higher dimensional beings incarnating as human to help us do just what you did when you read the Dalai Lama's book and went down the street and found your teacher. These higher dimensional beings who trained on Venus, that's what mission from Venus is, they're, on, they're not in Venus that we know, the third dimensional Venus, which has an atmosphere of sulfuric acid. They're in fifth dimensional Venus, which is a paradise because Venus exists as Earth does in all the dimensions. So they're training in the first book because they have to agree to take the risk to incarnate on Earth as human, which is a third dimensional experience and they're fifth dimensional. So they have a lot of training to do. And then they come and they are born as babies and they grow up. And in the second book, they're grown up and they're helping people to wake up to the fact that their minds are creating reality and that we're all part of one being. So that's the message that I was given to share. And, and I was told, don't write a spiritual book. First, write a trilogy. I said, oh yeah, a trilogy, not just a book, a trilogy. I can write. I'm going to, it's like, no, I'm, I'm a psychologist. I'm a mother. I have, I don't have time to write a trilogy, but of course you do have time to do it. Like you had time to learn to meditate when it was right. So two of the books are done. They're out. Um, they're on Amazon and some people are reading them and I'm writing the third one now. And I don't know where it will go. Every day, you know, the days I get an installment, I write it. Mm -hmm. So what is it that is going on on Earth right now? Earth is moving from the third dimension into the fourth dimension. Um, in the third dimension, we are supposed to learn about love and connection and that we're all one. That you know that saying, you must have come across it, what you do for another is also done for yourself and what you do for yourself is done for the other because we're one mind, we're one being. We're all creating this reality. Um, so we have to learn that lesson in order to be in the fourth dimension because right now on earth we have rich and poor, old and young, high and low, we have all these, what do you call them? I was going to say dichotomies, but dualities. Mm -hmm. We have all these dualities and they, they, cause, they cause pain. Um, but in the fourth dimension, there is unity. You know, we don't have so much dualistic thinking about have and have not and self and other. We've learned that we're all one. So the planet is ready, you know, Earth, Gaia, is a being also with a consciousness. And she is moved into the fourth dimension. So we have to, if we want to incarnate here again, hold enough, we have to be able to hold enough light to come back here 
And if we don't, if we don't, there's no punishment. We just go to another third dimensional planet if we want to, you know, continue on in the third dimension. Um, we can take as long as we want to learn about love and unity. There's not any punishment. So that basically, it would be nice if as many of us as possible could make the leap to the fourth dimension with Earth. Um, because it's a happier place. It's a more joyful place. And people do seem to be waking up. I can't tell you the number of people that say to me, they say it in different ways. They say, I feel like my mind is expanding. Some people get more concrete and say, I feel like I'm growing a new level of cortex. But you can almost see the separation of who's going to go to the fourth dimension now, who's going to stay in the third dimension longer and go later to the fourth dimension. Because if you see people controlling other people, judging other people, hating other people, then they're still in the third dimension. But if you see people who don't really want anything for themselves that they don't also want for you, they don't want anything for themselves that they don't also want for everybody, that's fourth dimensional thinking. And there's a separation in people. You can see it. You can see it in our politics. You can see it, you know, in our states. You know, some people are coming from everyone should be cared for. And some people are, I've got mine and I earned it. Too bad about you, earn it yourself. You know, that's third dimensional thinking versus fourth dimensional thinking. And we are sorting ourselves. So is that what's causing all the chaos? I think that may be part of what's causing some of the chaos and judgment and fear, but there's nothing to fear. There's no death. We're eternal, immortal beings. Consciousness is continuous. You had your mind before you took this body. These bodies, these are temporary rentals. You know, this is temporary housing. I mean, it's sometimes I look at my hands and I think, these hands have been so good to me. I love them, but they're not mine forever. This is just one type of temporary housing that I have. And I will drop this body when I transcend. And if its atoms will return to the universe. It isn't even solid anyway. Right. Even though I create it every day with my thoughts and I think it's solid, it isn't. We get attached to our physical being and we identify with it and we think it is us but it is not us. We are immortal, powerful creators. And our mind is temporarily located most of the time in the general vicinity of our body. But of course, at night, it's nowhere near usually the body because it's traveling. You know, we leave our body most nights. Our dreams are, are really are us visiting other realities, other realities that we also exist in because we're simultaneously existing in multiple realities at the same time we have alternative selves some people think of reincarnation as 
sequential. You know, I had a life in the fifth century, a life in the 15th century. But if there's no time, then all these lives are happening at once. Right. So sometimes when you're dreaming, you're dreaming, you're visiting your, your, the other members of your soul group, your, your multi, because we're multi-dimensional beings um, <clears throat> with, we're, we all are part of a soul group. So dreams are uh, really important. But we don't have to worry about ascension because the earth is ascending. It's already fourth dimensional. We can ascend now or we can ascend later. If you want to learn about love for another couple hundred thousand years, you can stay in the third dimension. Just mm. not here because this is going to be fourth dimensional. Interesting. I believe that. You know, um, you know, I had an experience. Really, it was weird. This was probably the beginning of like this podcast, anyway. And now people think I'm a little bit crazy, but I had a epileptic seizure, and and it was like a, a serious out of body experience. And it was really really cool. Afterwards, a couple of days later, when I was home, I got a book in the mail called Time Paradoxes from Oxford University, and the date was six months in the future on the receipt. So so my whole thing was, think, I was thinking, like, oh, maybe during that seizure, I found, like, a, a future self and somehow sent myself this book to remind myself that time isn't real. That's absolutely what you did, in my opinion. That is amazing. I yeah, love pretty cool. that story. I love that story. Wow. But it's hard to convince people that I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. That is part of the beauty of having a multi-dimensional self. A multi, uh, I don't know how many people, how many beings uh, are in our oversoul, but we want to help one another. The members of your your oversoul want to help each other. You are helping them, they are helping you. You may not have memory of everything, but you have a memory of that experience, mm -hmm. of that member of yourself helping you, mm. wanting you to, you know, understand that time doesn't exist. Right. What made you start the podcast? Well, it wasn't long after that. I'll say maybe like a month afterwards i was just taking a shower and i was like man you know i'm kind of bored you know i'm i play music but i can't there's no place to play down here i didn't feel like writing another book so the idea just came to me that says you know man just start a podcast just you know that, that might be kind of cool and uh you know here i am like almost 300 episodes later it's amazing and you do it every day yeah sometimes more than <laughs> that's amazing and you have this great laid-back style which is very you know nice to engage with i i mean i guess you know you you use what comes to you you get an idea in the shower and you act on it you get a book in the mail six months from the future with the date on the receipt and you you make sense of it. You realize it's another aspect of your being wanting you to 
get something, wanting you to understand something. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Like, like that's, you know, I, I've never really, I mean, you know, ever since I started meditating, I've never really believed that I am actually me anyway, or I'm just some, I'm an aspect of something or something else. Um, and since doing the podcast too, the podcast has really connected me with a lot of people, a whole bunch of people, oh, people I that I would have never been able to talk to before. And, and I'm just constantly learning. And there's also certain people too that I have on regularly that I just feel really connected to. It's like, it's like, I, I think I maybe have like known some of these people forever. Yeah, you, you probably, they're in your soul group. Or maybe even members of your own particular oversoul, like mm -hmm. the one that, who sent you the book. How did Gavin, how did you find Gavin Davies or he find you? Um, I think I found him on Instagram and I asked him to be a guest and he's like, well, I'm not doing interviews right now. But, and, and, I, and I still have like maybe like another 30 emails that he sent me that I haven't got to respond to with other guests. And uh, so, so that's how I found him. But I, I found so many people, like publishers are sending me gas, publicists send me gas. I, I come home and there's books <laughs> people send me. I mean, I it's it's so just crazy. To be talking to you, that's because you know what, when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're on your path, mm -hmm. it happens. There's no resistance. There's no resistance. So you can do it every day without burning out or even more than once a day. Yeah. You don't burn out because there's no, because it's the right thing for you and there's no resistance, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. You know, um, and that's like another thing that you mentioned resistance. Um, one of the things too is Maybe sometimes people that I observe spend so much time trying to get what they want, but what they really what they want really isn't what they want, you know. And when they can put that aside and let things happen naturally, life tends to go a little bit well for me a whole lot smoother. Yeah, I think the the reason that happens. Like you said, where people are trying to force it, we've all been there and tried to do that, is that we have, we have a lot of beliefs. And if we believe we have to have something or do something, we may try to force it. But the thing to do is before we go with that belief is to say, is what I'm believing actually true? Because a lot of beliefs that we have are not true. We're just <laughs> used to believing that because either society told us or some religion told us or our parents told us. But it's a good thing to do. It's like write down all your major beliefs and then go through and cross out the ones that you know aren't really good for you. Because mm -hmm. we can have beliefs that hurt us. Oh, I'm not good at that. You know, people will say that may not even be true about whatever they're talking about. Just, just their mother told them that, or you know, somehow they came right. to believe it. So, if you can get rid of self-limiting beliefs, 
Or if you think, oh, I'll be a failure if I don't go to college. And then you beat yourself up because you don't really want to go and you're not going and you waste a whole lot of time thinking about that and trying to force yourself into that round peg. Instead of saying, that's a bogus belief. I won't be a failure if I don't go to college because maybe my path is somewhere else. Maybe I'm just supposed to write books or make albums or paint or, you know, do something else. You know, we have to be careful what we believe because if we believe something that's not right, we can force ourselves and then we're going to come up against resistance because our inner self is not on board with it because our inner self knows the truth. It knows that we're not, that we're believing stuff that's hurting us. It is so hard to get past all the lies that have been planted so deep into my, into anybody's subconscious. Like, like I know, like, like for me, you know, even now I, I still struggle with like these, like just irrational thoughts, you know, or like, or like even reactions. Like, I'm like, why am I reacting in such and such a way, you know? And it doesn't make sense, you know? And there's like a Zen practice, like whenever you have a feeling or a thought, you can just ask, what is this? And, and, and sometimes, though, it's so deep that even like doing that type of practice doesn't get to it. You know, I think it's sometimes like I just have to wait <laughs> until it's, I'm ready to, to understand certain things. Exactly. But you have the patience to do it, you know, and you're observing your own. Some people are half a mile down the road into their reaction before they realizing they're reacting. And so we have to be kind of a little bit attuned to like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I feeling bad? Mm -hmm. at something somebody said, am I less because she said that to me? I'm still who I was. So it is a lot of work to be a conscious being because these minds will run amok because we're programmed with so much garbage you know, our parents had beliefs and they passed their beliefs on to us. And maybe those beliefs were wrong and passed on from somebody else. You know, my mother used to tell me a lot of stupid stuff like, ladies don't wear nail polish. Um, good girls don't chew gum in public. I mean, stupid stuff. And, and also, you know, religious stuff, um, you know, about sin and don't do this and don't do that and there's nothing on god's earth worse than a liar and like all i mean some of what she said was probably true but it was so controlling mm -hmm. you grow up thinking you're a bad kid you know if you do anything that goes outside those lines it takes a long time to undo that stuff so you get it from your parents your teachers society religion oh it's a wonder any of us ever hear an inner message or meditate or anything. But we do. We manage somehow to transcend the fear of all those people that have programmed us with all the stuff they were programmed with because whoever was programming them was fearful. 
<laughs> and even that process, I think, takes maybe lifetimes. But we have we have our all our multiple selves working and helping us if we just acknowledge it. Like if we just make sense of it. Like yeah, one of my other selves sent me a book. It doesn't get better than that. <laughs> it doesn't. It's. I mean. I wish one of my other selves would send me a book. It was, it was pretty weird. Pretty amazing <laughs> and beautiful. Yeah. But my wife thinks I'm crazy. No. Yes. <laughs> she, she still swears. She goes, oh, no. So one of your family members were playing a joke on you or something. Like, There's no way. This is impossible. No. This book came from Oxford University. Yeah. yeah. It's not like it came from Amazon or something like that. Yeah. So your wife is a healer. She wants to be a nurse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she loves helping people. Yeah. So you two are well met. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, people like you and me, we can be challenging for our family members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my dog. I'm so sorry. My dog does it almost every podcast. Hold on one second. Hey, Obi. Obi. Coming. It's okay. Sorry. I locked my daughter out. I'm sorry. I unplugged the phone because I didn't want it to ring. I still have Mm -hmm. a lamp. And I locked my daughter out, but I let her in. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I have a six-month-old puppy that loves to bark if ever I do a podcast. What kind of puppy do you have? Um, I, he's. They, they said he was an American boy, but I'm not 100% sure. He looked just more like a straight pit bull to me. Aw, it's a wonderful thing to have a dog. Yeah, well, we have two. Oh, you're lucky. We have two cats and one dog. I got a cat, too. Yeah, and it's great to see them hanging together. You know, the way they act together, so cute together. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I was more like them. There are teachers. There are teachers. They're not hung up about time. They do live in the the present moment Mm -hmm. they're not worried about the past or the future it's all about the present moment i don't know how they do it but they do they're great teachers yeah they're pretty cool like they play when they want to play sleep when they want to sleep eat when they want to eat poop on a neighbor's yard (laughs) yeah they just there's no phoniness they're totally authentic. Mm-hmm. They don't try to look any way to impress anyone. <laughs> Refreshing. So, so how does your how's your book laid out? Um, how, like, like how, how's the story sort of play? Well, book book one takes place on Venus, where the wanderers are training. And various masters of light from various light rays go to Venus to teach them. And they have field trips 
to Earth in the fir- in mission from Venus, mm-hmm. so that they can see what because if none of them have been here before, there are actually thousands of wanderers training. But the story follows eight eight wanderers, four male, four female. So the whole first book is basically apart from a field trip to Earth set on the planet Venus, and there's a lot of teaching. The whole book is just various lessons that they're learning in preparation and sort of some discussion about planet Earth and what's been going on there and why they're needed now. A call has gone out across the universe that Earth is going in, is ascending into the fourth dimension and that it would be nice to help a lot of humans ascend more than are ready to get ready. So that's why the people are the wanderers are training to help more people get ready for ascension so that's the whole first book there's a lot about light rays about different dimensions about the history of the planet and then book two at the end of book one the wanderers are in are born as human infants and so you see them leaving the fifth dimension and hanging about the pregnant woman, they're still they're still knowing everything. But then once they enter the body around the time of the birth, they their memories are wiped because they yeah, that's the rule about mm-hmm. incarnating on Earth. You have to go through the veil of forgetting. But <coughs> they've been. <coughs> They've had seeds planted in their etheric pineal gland to help them wake up and realize they're not, they're not only human. They're also a higher dimensional being having a life as a human, which is something that Jesus did, a higher dimensional being who agreed to incarnate as a human. So when that's how the first book ends, they're born and they realize in the infant's body that they're forgetting who they are. Book two opens when they're 21 and they're starting to wake up and find the other wanderers who are here. Because if they don't wake up, they will be trapped Mm -hmm. in the third dimension and they could be dragged onto the dark path because the dark the dark planet of Orion would like Earth to ascend to the dark side, not the light side. So there's, there's, there's some drama about can this happen? Can enough people wake up and go on the positive path as opposed to the dark path? It's not ultimately dark because after the sixth dimension, everyone goes forward on the path of light. But there's a duality, there's light and dark so people can learn lessons. So book two is all about what happens to them on earth and they find each other and the dark lords attack them and try to kill them and they interact with humans and it's like, and they sometimes travel to other planets, but in the context, I'm supposed to deliver the message a lot of the messages we've been talking about that we are multi-dimensional beings that we are all one 
that our reason for being here is to wake up and understand how powerful our minds are to create reality. And book three is, I was calling it the battle for earth, like how's it going to go? But lately I've been thinking of it as paradise. I don't know why. I don't know. I, they will, they changed the title of book two. So I don't know what the title of book three will be, but I'm about a third of the way into it. And it's more complicated than Mission from Venus and the Wanderers on Earth. It's more multi-layered. And there's much more about the stuff we've been talking about tonight, about our, our other selves in our oversoul helping us and our visits to them during our sleep and our visits to them whenever we can escape just being focused on third dimensional reality because we're blinking in and out of third dimensional reality all the time. Mm -hmm. We think our attention is steady, that we're always focused in third dimensional reality. But in fact, half the time we're in a different, we've blinked into something, but we usually block it out because it doesn't fit with our senses. You, but if we, blink and we're using our inner senses we will see that other reality for a moment or several other realities but we mostly block that out because we think we're crazy or someone else thinks we're crazy but we're not crazy (laughs) you know but but there gets that worry in people So one of the things that you mentioned about the first book and about focusing on like light rays and stuff like that is that anyhow related? Like the first time I ever heard about that kind of stuff was when I was reading a book about Saint Germain. Saint Germain is the master, he's the Kohan of the violet ray, which the violet ray of transmutation. Yes. Um, he's he's wonderful. Um, and in fact, today is Saturday, and people who follow the teaching of the rays. Saturday is St. Germain's Day, and it is the day of the violet ray. Tomorrow is Lord Lanto. That's the yellow ray of the ray of illumination. Um, Each of the rays has properties to do different things. But of course, you can use any color ray to do anything because they're all scalar waves. Well, Tesla called them Tesla waves, but... You know, we call them, we now tend to call them scalar waves, or I don't know if you know Cindy Dale, but she's a wonderful teacher of chakras, and she calls them healing streams of grace, Mm -hmm. but it's light, and the way sunlight falls to earth, all these rays fall to earth, and you can see them when you put a prism in the window, and it breaks the light, you can see all the rays, and and they, they tend to correspond People who study the chakras, you know, violet being above the crown Mm -hmm. um, and that being St. Germain's ray, um, that the rays correspond to the chakras, but that could have been laid on later. But they're real. Just hold a prism to the window and you see them just coming to earth. I call on one ray a day just in my own practice to... And I use that ray for whatever is 
happening, whatever I need for clarity of mind, for healing, um, for change, like Saturday today, St. Germain and the Violet Ray of Transmutation, if there's something that you want to transmute in your mind, in your environment, in your whatever, it's a good uh, ray to use. Like uh, Master Hilarion is the Emerald Ray of Healing. And his day is Wednesday. And it's a good, good to do a little healing on Wednesdays. I mean, you can set up any system mm -hmm. you want with any color you want. There's no laws. You know, this is the way I do it, but people do it all different ways. Um, some people use crystals of different color and right. it's a similar thing or they program the crystals. Um, and I tried to work like things like this. I have the rays in Mission from Venus. I also have a lot of crystals. I have the chairs in Ven on Venus in this one training beautiful temple that they're training in are all made of crystal and you can choose any crystal you want and because they're higher dimensional beings they can shape the crystal into any shape they want and then the crystal does things for them like uh if they're falling asleep it wakes them up if they you know and each crystal has different properties and so i made the crystals alive is what mm -hmm. i'm trying to say I made them alive and each chair is a crystal friend to the wanderer who sits in it. Oh, that's a cool idea. It's everything. Yeah. And the friend and the, so the crystals tell them things and guide them. Like it's not just a chair they're sitting on. It's a crystal that can have different shapes and, and can help them and does help them. Hmm. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I didn't, I just get the stuff. I mean, I suppose we all just get the stuff. Mm -hmm. Because most, you know, I'm not aware that it's happening in my sleep because I think I'm out my body somewhere else. Um, but I've been working for years with this Australian shaman who is the daughter of an Aborigine. And she's the one who told me you before you incarnated you were sitting in council in the formless realm and you agreed to be a scribe for the information that they wanted to come into third dimensional reality on this planet at this time so you incarnated this was your task but you've been taking a long time to wake up because she told me this in my 60s, like about 10 years ago. Like you didn't wait, you might've woken up in your 30s or 40s, but you weren't awake enough to be able to channel this information. Hmm. But now I'm finally doing it. In a nick of time. <laughs> um, do you ever talk to any other authors that do channeling? Like I get a lot of guests from like um, Dolores Cannon's publishing company. And a lot of them do channel types of books. Yeah, I have never talked to any of them because I think a lot of a lot of people are voice channels, mm -hmm. and I'm not a voice channel. I don't know how I know what I know. I mean, the shaman has told me, "Well, they download it into you." Sometimes when I'm writing, I hear 
change that word to this word, stuff like that. But I don't say anything out loud. Like I couldn't, and I can't channel anything else. Like if somebody said, what's my future? Like, well, f first of all, we have free will. So no one can predict the future. That's not, they can tell you the most likely probable thing, but, um, but no, that's an interesting question. I have never met anybody else. I read Jane Roberts who chant, she was a voice channel who hmm. channeled Beth. Um, but that was in my twenties when I started reading her 50 years ago. Um, no, I've just been working alone, doing my own thing. Hmm. I, I don't, this I this is a publishing company you mentioned. Yeah, yeah it's called Ozark Mountain. Ozark, huh? Yeah. I'm sure more and more stuff is going to be coming in and be channeled by more and more people. Well, the thing, the funny thing is, is it's there's always the common denominator. You know, almost everybody I talk to um, when when they're doing these channeled books, it's almost like the same information. Not, not, now I'm not saying they're copying each other. I'm saying that that this message probably is coming from somewhere yeah. and is trying to saying? spread. Yeah. What are they all saying? About the ascension and earth changing, people's consciousness changing, um, that that we're going through all this trouble because of, you know, Transition. things changing. Um and I, I mean and there's like like sometimes there's some differences like you know some people will say well it's going to happen when the poles shift in the planet others will say you know maybe it's a star alignment or something or a comet you know like like those things vary but but the core message is always the same there's, there's yeah. certain things that are always like, like one is common things like you're not your body um consciousness is endless and infinite um you're an eternal being. You're yeah. Um, telepathy is always a common denominator. Everybody has telepathy. Um, so so vibrations, chakras, stuff like that. It, it's all very... It's all empowering. Yeah. That's beautiful. The more, the merrier. The <laughs> more books that are channeled, the more people that are telling us all that we're, we're not the downtrodden. We are powerful, beautiful, eternal, immortal beings. Yeah. And an interesting thing that I find about it too is this is not necessarily a recent phenomenon. I mean, um, I think like the, the book of Zion, which was uh, channeled by uh, Madame Blavatsky, was very similar to, to this type of thing. Um, there's also a book called The Book of Urantia, which was channeled by a bunch of mediums in Chicago, which was also very similar. So it's, it's interesting. Wonderful. And I think there are probably ancient books too. Oh, I'm like sure. From BC, like from 400 BC. I think some of the stuff Plato and Aristotle were talking about, they weren't talking about Earth's ascension necessarily, but they were talking about the immortal consciousness mm -hmm. immortal nature of human they were talking about that 450 bc oh absolutely even in the sumerian texts the egyptian texts um yeah and, and there's probably stuff that's even older that we haven't even found yet and there were other earths before this earth mm -hmm. 
probably knew this stuff too. Like in Atlantis, well, that was this earth, but they knew a lot of stuff. They got a lot of information from distant stars. Um, and a lot of that information was lost because maybe they just got carried away. Um, <laughs> my my co-host, Jared Murphy, he, he wrote the book, um, It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. His theory is that something went really wrong with Atlantis and Lemuria. And so as, so that in order to prevent it from happening again, that they that they put themselves into what he calls like a safe mode. So where we can only use like about 15% of our consciousness until we're ready to actually handle it this time. Exactly. The way I got it was very similar. And I wrote this in Mission from Venus that, our, we have we have our major seven chakras open, mm -hmm. but we have fifteen chakras. And after Atlantis, apparently, the the higher chakras, which gave us access to the inner senses like telepathy, were shut down because we they had been so destructive on Atlantis the way that they were using crystal power. So the higher chakras got shut down, which is a very similar thing to what your co-host is saying. Whether the consciousness is coming through the chakras or some other way, it was closed off, not to be opened until we were evolved and responsible enough to not to misuse it. Yeah. Have, have you ever tried doing like a chakra med meditation where you send like a light beam out into space, like with a question? And then you get the answer to the question. I'm going to try it. I have not tried it. But it's I really cool. How, about, How do you do it? Uh, you, you just kind of do it like a, a regular chakra meditation where you light up your chakras. But then once you reach the top one, you send like a white light up into, you know, as far as you can possibly imagine. And then kind of just wait for the answer. It, it, so are you asking your higher self or the divine? Yeah, or whatever, whatever it is. And, wants the answer. Yeah, I it, love yeah it's pretty do. cool. And another one is because uh, you do like the, the dream stuff is um, I think it's called dream incubation, where you ask a question before you go to sleep, I and then you go, the and then you go to sleep and, and let your the answer come to you in your dreams. Yeah, I tell patients all the time to do it too. Like your consciousness can try to answer, but if you want a big answer. You ask, you ask for the gift of a dream before you sleep to answer. And then it might take a couple nights, but you will get an answer. Hmm. No, I think that's beautiful. Do but I'm going to try this shooting light question. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Do you ever find yourself remembering dreams that you've had a long time ago? Yes. And you're like, why am I remembering this dream that I had like 20 years ago yes. all of a sudden? Yes, because you're supposed to remember it, that some part of you is reminding you. I've w awakened sometimes and had no idea who I was. In fact, the 20-year thing, this was before my daughter was born, like, and she's 27. So, oh, maybe this is 30, 35 years ago. I woke up one morning and I said to my husband, I said, what's my name? I, I can't, I know, I recognize you. I recognize this room. I've just gotten back. But I have no idea what my name is. He <laughs> said, your name is Susan Plunkett and you're married to me. I'll be good. Right. 
that's it, Susan Plunkett. But sometimes <laughs> you're out so far, right? You don't remember who you are in this dimension. I've had similar things like that happen to me too, especially in the morning. Yeah. If you've been really far away, when you first come back, you're very disoriented. Mm -hmm. Coming back into this physical being. So being a psychologist, I, I would imagine, I mean, I know you're into the, the Carl Jung thing. Um, what would you think, what do you think of like Freud's work? Do you think it was just a bunch of bunk or did he just sort of... Was doing the best Freud he could was, with what he had. Freud was a genius. He was really wonderful and brilliant, but he was terrified of mysticism. He really wanted everything. Freud was a thinking type. Jung was an intuitive. Mm -hmm. Jung was an intuitive mystic, a seer. And he could, he could experience other realities and did. Freud shut all that down. He did not want to know about that. Nevertheless, he was brilliant. He was, he was brilliant in what he did, but he had a fear of anything spiritual. He just didn't want to go there. But he was a great man and a beautiful, with a beautiful mind and mm. wrote a lot of fascinating, helpful stuff. But Jung said, you don't go far enough to healing until you get a spiritual life, because there's no real healing without a relationship to the divine. Right. So yeah. it's a different take on it. That's why they broke. Right. But yeah. they loved one another. They loved one another and admired one another. But Freud would not have it. He would not have mysticism in his theories. Hmm. And Jung, in order to be who he was, had to break with him. But it cost him a lot. He nearly went crazy. Yeah, I read, um, I think, was it Dreams, Memories, and... Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. Yeah. It's yeah. his, the last book he wrote. Yeah. Uh, about, it's a little bit... Autobiographical, mm -hmm. right? but they cut a lot of stuff out of it. Did they? The family, yeah. After he died, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, but still, there's good stuff in there. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting book. I mean, at the time I read it, I was young. I think I was, God, I was probably like maybe 25 or something. So at that time, it was a tough read for me. Yeah, well, it's because young is um, because he's intuitive. He doesn't write in an orderly way. He he makes leaps, mm -hmm. you know, and and uh, and the stuff he was talking about is a lot for a twenty-five-year-old. Yeah. He was talking a lot about his dreams, and he was talking about some mystical experiences where he saw into other realities. Yeah, and the other thing, like you know, I'm also into the tarot, and you cannot read a tarot book without a mention of Carl Jung. Yeah, because of the archetypes, mm -hmm. because there's so, so many archetypes in the, you know, the hero, the devil, the fool, the kings, the queens, the pages, you know, there's a lot of archetypes. And a lot of Carl Jung's theory is about the various archetypes that work through us. 
at different periods of our life. Yeah. So yeah, the tarot has all of them, the lovers, um, the tower, these are all archetypes that exist in the collective unconscious of all beings. And some of them possess us from time to time, you know, <laughs> get possessed by the archetype of the lover uh -huh. or the hero or the devil, you know. Do you think those things are sometimes downloaded in our dreams? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's like what happens. We have a dream and it's just for some reason it, it aligns with a certain archetype and then you just have sort of have that personality for that day or week or whatever. Yes, because dreams use symbolic language. They prefer symbols and images to words. There will be words sometimes, but mainly dreams give us images and symbols, and archetypes are big symbols. So, yes, dreams speak the language of archetypes. And because our inner self, is trying to communicate with us in our dreams, trying to show us that we're so much more than our waking self. Yeah, sleeping is pretty fun. <laughs> Dreaming is pretty fun. I mean, I've dreamt of myself on other planets where I could see the Earth. Yeah, I've had those type of dreams. It's wonderful. It's fun. It's scary when it first happens. Like, where the heck am I that I'm seeing, you know? Mm-hmm. But no, we are so much more than we realize. So much more. And it's empowering to realize that. And for everyone to realize that. I, I completely agree. We're creating reality. We don't need guns. You don't need a gun. We can create reality with our minds. Right. This is better than a gun. <laughs> you don't like reality? Change it here. Yeah. Yeah, it just takes a little time and training to do. Yeah, discipline, self-discipline. Just like, you know, your Buddhist practice. It's a, it requires discipline. Yeah. And listening to the self. Like, listening to yourself when you're in the shower and you were you heard, I should do a podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it just... Whatever now, like when I get like a, a feeling now, I just sort of go with it. Even if it's not rational. You don't resist. Yeah. You don't resist. You've given up <clears throat> resistance. Well, I haven't given it up completely because I still get myself. When I, when I do start listening to the rational part of myself, I still get myself hung up sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. then if you recognize it, you can unhang yourself. Say, oh, yeah, I got myself hung up on this. Is this <laughs> even true? Is this even is this even true what I'm thinking that's, that's upsetting me and, you know, causing me resistance? Yep. Happens to me all the time still. But I'm aware of it. And I think that's yeah. usually just the beginning. It's like when you become, the more aware you become, it's kind of like a snowball effect. Yeah. Yeah. Just like all the people channeling books about Earth's ascension mm -hmm. and the fact we're powerful creators with temporary housing in these these electrochemical vehicles we walk around in and get over-identified with and worry if it's not beautiful or young. Hey, don't worry about it. It's not you. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's really nothing to be afraid of. That's for sure. Yeah, there's nothing to be afraid of. The happiness of all beings is absolutely assured. And there's so much help mm -hmm. from every ray, from St. Germain, from our own guides, from our the other aspects of our multidimensional self. There's so much help. Absolutely. Now, thank so great you. for doing this. Yeah, thank and you so much for being on today. This was great. talking to you. Wonderful talking. Um, before we wrap it up, though, where can my listeners find you? Uh, they can find me, susanplunkett.com is my website. Um, and my books are there. My philosophy is there. My blog is there. Um, yeah, susanplunkett.com. And Plunkett has one T. I know. And if you do two T's, you get like an actress or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm one T. I'm <laughs> Gary, thank you for having me on. Thank you for being you. Thank you for getting a book from the future. From the future. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah, it's fun. It's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I'm going to post a link to your website in the notes of this episode. And hang on right. for one second while I play my outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise. To support the costs of producing this podcast, click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot, you can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.